Good morning, everyone. Great to see your faces. Welcome to Let's Be Thankful Month here at the Journey Church. I want to welcome everybody that's here. We've got a couple of visitors today and new people. That's great. And uh, welcome those online that will be watching at a later time. Um, let's be thankful. Um, it's pretty amazing when you look around and even when you think you're don't have much to be thankful about. There's plenty. There is plenty. I want to publicly thank uh, Nick last weekend for stepping in for me. What a great sermon he gave. Uh, I took a bunch of notes myself. And uh, Brian, last week on our Thursday night um, group, he stepped in and taught about the Bible and how important it is for us to be in it and around it. And what it is for us, and so I'm just really thankful for those guys, um, of, of course. Um, Nick reminded me of something last week when he was preaching and he, uh, about the idea of how much we need each other um, and, can, and should be thankful for each other. And so this morning, it was really fun watching everybody come in the door and greet each other, and uh, it's, it's more than just grabbing a bagel and a coffee. <laughs> I hope you realize that, is that, man, we need each other. We need each other to, we need to be praying for each other. We need to be there for um, each other. Um, Tamla and I did a couple of hospital visits last night, and it was just, you know, there's people struggling, and we need each other. And uh, so that was a great reminder last week. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about something that's going to seem a little bit like an oxymoron. And if you're familiar with oxymorons, they're really just a, a figure of speech that it brings in like some words that seem contradictory to each other. Uh, you know, and they have opposite meanings, but uh, eventually uh, they'll make sense. Uh, things like old news or deafening silence or organized chaos are examples of um, uh, oxymorons. Uh, they may seem illogical when you first hear them, and that's what an oxymoron is, right? It just doesn't sound right, but yet when you think through it and you put context to it, you go, ah, I understand it now. So that's what's going to happen today, I hope, for you. Um, we're in the book of James, so if you want to turn to the very first chapter of James in your Bibles or on your app or on your phone or whatever you got, we're going to dig into what a, seems to be an oxymoron. And I'm hoping that uh, as we navigate through this together that you will see that it's not. Uh, so let me read uh, the first two verses of James to you. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, that your Bible clears things up for us in so many ways. There's so much confusion and, and um, doubt and all these things that can come into our lives and troubles. But when we look to your word, we can see a clear way through. 
So help us do that today, Lord. Help my words be yours. Um, Lord, just uh, we love you, and that's why we're here today, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 2, we see the oxymoron. Count it all joy, or be thankful when you fall into various trials. I can tell by your response that sounds like an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense, does it, when we say count it all joy when bad things come into our lives or troubles come into our lives or trials come into our um, life. I don't know about you guys, but my initial reaction to troubles or to trials is not joy, nor am I initially thankful for them. In fact, I, I don't like them. So like any oxymoron, James says uh, his statement seems to be illogical at first as well. But this forces us to review the surrounding circumstances of what's going on. Um, because I opened up with James, the very first verse, it's really like an address to any other letter. We kind of do it in reverse nowadays. When we write letters, we kind of write our, you know, like a, almost like a salutation at the end. You know, we say, from John, or in, with my love, or whatever. But when they wrote um, many of the, what we call letters, uh, with the scriptures, uh, they were just letters to people or to churches and to groups. But they would put this at the beginning. And James says, my brethren. So we really got to kind of just address that real quickly. It, he says it's to the 12 tribes which are scattered about. And these are the 12 tribes of Israel, of course. But in the Bible and in secular history, we see that the, for sure the 12 tribes were scattered and the very first scattering that we really see is back in 71 BC when the Assyrians first, that conflict came into the lives of the Jews. They were scattered about because of that. And that was because that particular scattering got allowed to come into their lives because they were in sin. They were not obeying what God wanted them to do as his people. So he allowed the Assyrians to come in and scatter them. Um, in fact, all through history, we can see the trials of the Jewish people. Uh, even today, so many years later, we just turned on our news, right, at 6 o'clock, and we can see the Jewish people are struggling, and they, they still to this day are being scattered, and, and, and they have all these trials. Um, or he could be addressing the, the Christian Jews, because many Jews in James's time were coming to know Jesus uh, and they were coming out of Judaism or out of the Jewish faith. So he could be talking to them. Um, both of these um, believers were going through uh, struggles because they had converted from the Jewish faith and now were following Jesus. And not only were they getting pressured by the Roman government, but they were getting pressure from their own people that, because they had been converting to Christianity. Um, or he could be addressing all scattered believers, and this is really kind of where I sit with this. Of course, he was addressing Jews in his day, but since then, we as Gentiles have been grafted in 
to Israel, according to Romans 11:17, it says that we as Gentiles, most of us here are probably Gentiles or some version of that, and um, we've been grafted into Israel, and Israel meaning believing Israel. You know, God kind of set up the whole Abrahamic thing just for the idea that Abram was going to be the first of many. But it wasn't because it was through the bloodline that all of uh, Abram would have children or Abram would have many children. It was that through belief and through our faith we come into the family. And so that's where we sit when it comes to addressing. That's where I believe we're at. So you cannot sit in here and say this message is not for me. This is for anyone who has uh, come to know Jesus and to follow him as Lord and Savior. All the spiritual brethren. So he says, my brethren, count it all joy. And in my notes here, I have a great big old question mark uh, behind that statement. Count it all joy when bad things happen. Be thankful when you fall into various trials. You notice James doesn't say not if, but when. Is that verse still up? Can you put that verse up there, Ken? He says not when or if you fall into various trials, but he says when. Interesting, isn't it? Count it all joy when you fall in. Uh, if you have somehow lived throughout your entire um, life and you have never gone through a trial or a testing of any sort, would you raise your hand? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, right? So we've all been through them. The crazy thing about trials is, is that we probably have some in our rearview mirror. We probably have some right in the car with us right now. Or we may have some in our windshield. That's the way it is with trials. They're always going to be here. Uh, this life, and certainly the Christian life, will bring those um, into. You're going to have your fair share of trials. Um, in most cases, they come when we're never expecting them. I don't know about you, but I don't get up in the morning and say, I wonder what trial's going to be coming into my life today. They just seem to happen. They just seem to show up when we're not looking. Um, and I'm sure none of you ever say, like, man, I haven't had a trial in a while. I wish I could have one of those this week. Come on, bring, me, bring on a trial. I'm sure you're not that way. Again, unfortunately, it's not a matter of if a trial will come into our life. It's a matter of when they're going to come into our lives. But he also says that we will fall into trials. It's interesting, isn't that? Not, this isn't like it's a pit, uh, an open hole in the ground, and then we just all of a sudden fall into a trial. That's not what he's talking about. That Greek word there, that phrase that means fall into, is really talking about when you encounter one. Uh, actually, the language is fairly clear there that it's when you run into a brick wall. So our trials or our um, temptations, we're going to talk about those in a minute too, but when we come, they are actually something that we just run into and we're unable to go any further. Or at least it hinders our forward 
progress. And our trials can be various. Um, so what actually are these various trials that we run into or run up against to? Again, in the, sometimes our Greek is, the Greek words are a little hard to figure out, or unless we look at the English properly, we don't see the Greek. Unless we look at the Greek, we don't see the English sometimes. But this actually means that uh, someone is submitted to a thorough or an extensive testing or an examination. That's what the word trial means, and that's what it was, the original in the Greek means, is that when we're subject to or been put to the test. In fact, nowadays we may say that. I'm being put to the test. That's what a trial is. Some of the Bible translations even use the word temptation here, uh, which is not wrong, and we'll, we'll navigate through that in a minute. But temptations and trials are really the same thing. But probably the best way to look at the word translated uh, trial or temptation here is to view it as a testing period or an examination period. Interesting, it makes you think for a second. Today when we're looking at the two types of trials, we're going to look at the um, trials that come from God, and we're going to look at the trials that come from within. That there's two distinct versions of that. But before we investigate these two types of trials, we need to talk about how we respond to them first. Uh, we all respond a little differently to trials. Um, so my question to you is, how do you respond to trials in your life? How, what is the first reaction you have when trouble comes your way? When a testing or an examination, if you want to say, of our lives comes, how does that, how do you react? Well, we have options how to respond, um, but I'm betting if you're like me, it's not with joy and with thanksgiving. I bet you that's not your first response because it isn't mine. So I'm going to give you a couple. First, we can rebel against trials, and how we do that is we defy that they're even happening. We ignore them. Like somehow, some way, I can get through this on my own, uh, this too shall pass. Just completely ignore the trial that has come into our life. That's one way we can respond. We can get discouraged. Many of us do that when a trial comes into our lives. We just give up and we adopt the attitude of, well, there's nothing I can really do about it anyhow. It's out of my control, so I just give up and just let it all happen. That's another way we can respond. Or we can gauge, uh, in my personal favorite, this is the one that I usually go to, my go-to is grumbling and complaining, which is really just self-pity. We use trials in some way uh, to draw attention to ourselves, and we take this in a, hoping that somebody will feel sorry for us and say, oh, woe is me. Those are the, some of the ways in which we can respond to trials when they come um, our way. Or we can choose to do what James wants us to do. And what does he say? Count it all joy. 
when we fall into various trials. Count it all joy. Hmm. There must be some kind of way to do this because <laughs> this is not our natural response to it, right? Correct? So, James 1.3 says this. How is this accomplished? He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Hmm. Patience is something we're not super good at as a people, are we? James is saying that in order for us to be thankful for the trials in our lives, we need to know something. We need to be aware that God is using the trials in our life to produce something good. And that's really the structure of this whole first section of James. He's trying to get us to understand that when trials come, not if, but when they come, God is using them. He's testing us. He's testing our faith and our patience. But he's going to use it for something good. Now, that to me starts to get the little joy bug going a little bit. Okay, God's going to use this thing some way, somehow. Some, the thing that's going into my life right now or happening in my life that just seems totally devastating to me, God is using it for our good and for his glory. James S. wants, wants us to know that and that the testing of our faith actually produces something. So how do we count it all joy when trials come our way? So we need to look at our trials from a different perspective than the grumbling, the complaining perspective, the defiant, rebellious thing like it's not ever happening, or even the just throwing up our hands and giving up state. So you were handed a set of glasses when you came in today. So at this time, everybody needs to get out their glasses and put them on. Things look different, don't they? Things are different now. They're not like they looked just five seconds ago. Actually, you guys look pretty silly. <laughs> this is the point. If we take and look at trials in our lives through a different set of lenses, this is how we end up counting it all joy. See, when we look at them through our normal, natural lens, all those other options are out there for us to respond to our trials. But when we look at it through the lens that James is trying to get us to look through, things look different. We have a different attitude and a different perspective. So for the rest of the sermon, you need to wear those or you won't get the rest of the sermon. <laughs> not, uh, not really. <laughs> but... What I'm hoping you'll do is as we walk through this thing, that's really the message today. It's looking at things with a new set of glasses, looking at our trials and our tribulations and all the things that come on us with the idea that God is doing something with it. 
We don't always know what he's doing. We don't always get it. We don't understand it. But here's where the faith and the patience come in that he is doing something with it. So when we want to rebel and when trials, uh, trials come our way, I want you to keep these glasses. <laughs> and you're going to get these glasses out and you're going to put them on and you're going to start looking at this trial a little differently. Uh, when you get discouraged because of your trial, because of the thing that has come into your path, you need to get out your glasses as a reminder and begin to look at things differently. When this trial comes into your life and you begin to grumble and when you get to complain and whine and try to get all the self-pity directed your way, you're going to put on your new glasses and you're going to say, ah, I'm going to look at it and see what God is doing in my life with this trial. It'll transform your life past that point. If you're doing any, if you're responding in any of these other ways, looking at it through that lens or those set of glasses will completely change how you look at things. Um, when we first encounter a trial, it appears as our enemy. But when you put the new glasses on, when you look at it from a different perspective, you'll actually see or see that the trial is actually your friend. And that's like, that's how you can count it all joy. Again, I'm not going to invite any trials into my life. It's not going to be a thing I'm writing my congressman and said, hey, would you please send trials my way? I'm not going to do that. But when they come, it's how we see them is what will change how we respond to them. Um, James says, uh, the testing of our faith produces patience. And patience and endurance kind of go in hand in hand. Endurance is the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. But endurance takes time to build up. And so, in turn, it creates patience in us. Have you ever heard the saying that you can't have a testimony without a test? Ever had that, somebody say that to you? Um, the thought there is that when the trials come into our life, we are, um, you know, without trials coming into our life, I should say, uh, we're never put to the test. And without a test, we can't have a testimony. We can't have the testimony of what, how awesome it was on this side of the trial. In other words, without that thing coming into my life, I wouldn't have changed, or I, this thing wouldn't have been different. Um, just pretty amazing thing when God brings what we think is such a devastating thing in our life, how he actually um, uses it for our good. Uh, remember, uh, to fall into a trial is when our forward progress has been hindered. That's what trials do. Uh, sometimes that's a good thing. Uh, did, like I said, I did a hospital visit last night on a very good friend of mine and I, he's in there because of some heart surgery stuff going on, and he's a very active man, very, uh, very outgoing, go-getter kind of a guy. And I, you know, I'm not God, but I'm seeing the Lord kind of slowing him down a little bit, which seems like a totally devastating thing going in to get a, a normal procedure done. Now is going to uh, enter in for him a uh, an open heart surgery, pretty serious thing. 
But at the same time, uh, we got to pray together and ask God, what are you trying to do with this thing? And it was so good to be with him last night. If we never go any, through any trials in our lives, we never get to see how we did on the test. The tests produce the results we need to advance forward. You ever take surveys before? Uh, the reason they make you take surveys is to see where they're doing good and where they're doing bad. And hopefully the person asking for the survey will review those things and then go, okay, we need to do this to move forward. And that's really what um, testings are for our lives. When God brings those things into our lives or they come in by circumstance or just being in a fallen world, they're actually a, a, a test to see how we are doing. But patience must be allowed to work, according to James. He says in verse 4, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When it comes to trials, sometimes we are the enemy. We can be the enemy. The trial is our friend. But we can be the enemy because what we want to do is circumvent the trial in its length. We want to cut it short. We don't like where we're at. We don't like the space that we're living in at this moment. But I can, as a testimony, I can give you, I've had plenty of those. But I can tell you that on the other side of the trial, I am so glad that I went through that trial because it produced something in me that was lacking that I didn't have before the trial. And that's what James is saying, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Perhaps the trial has been encountered because God is trying to correct sin in our lives or remove something out of our lives or whatever it is. Uh, if you remember Job, the Old Testament Job, if there was anybody that went through some stuff, it would be Job, right? If you read anything about him, he says, he had a friend tell him this in uh, chapter 5, verse 17. He says, behold, happy is the man, kind of James's thought, uh, is the man who God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. So Job had some buddies that were saying, okay, you've lost your family. You're sitting here. Your body is all wretched. You're in boils and sores and in severe pain. And he's got a buddy standing next to his bed telling him, Behold, happy is the man who God corrects. Obviously, uh, Job had some friends that think Job needed a little correction in his life, right? Um, hopefully, I don't have too many friends like that. But it says, therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. And if that is you today, if, if you are going through a trial because of sin in your life or because of um, you're involved in something you shouldn't be involved in, count it all joy. God is going to take you through a trial to get you out of that thing. Isn't that amazing how God loves us? He'll allow us to go through them. So this is where we get to our new set of glasses and we look to the purpose in what God is doing. And that's sometimes hard to do that right in the middle of our trial when we're in all of our pain and our suffering and all the things that are going on. But that's where God wants us to slow down. He wants us to stop 
and look and see. Put on those glasses and see what he is doing. What is he trying to bring me out of? Where is he trying to take me to? What is going on? Trials are aimed at uh, making us per perfect. And that doesn't mean like perfect, perfect, no fault, because we know we won't be that until Jesus comes or we go to meet him, right? The word perfect here means mature. So the goal is he's bringing these things into our lives so that we can grow up, that we can be more mature into the Christians that he wants us to be. And he also uses the word complete Christians, or in other words, whole Christians. He wants us to lack nothing that it takes to live the Christian life. So God's purpose is for us to be conformed, if we will say this, into the image of his son. He wants us to be like Jesus. And if that means that he has to bring a few trials into our lives or allow these things to happen, God is willing to do it. The big thing is that we often sit in our trial and don't learn the lesson. And so, I don't know if you've been this one, it seems like your trial's running on forever and ever and ever. I would be asking God, what am I supposed to be learning? What, do I, what, am I, what have I not yet seen? Lord, I don't want to go through this trial anymore. Please help me understand what you want me to know. So we put on our glasses and we allow the patience part of what God is doing to work. As we endure, it requires patience to go through the trial. We all want it over. We want it done. But at the same time, with the idea that if we get those glasses on and realize God's doing something, we can look through those, that set of glasses. Another benefit of the trials is that it moves us to pray. Listen to what James says in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I don't know about you guys, but trials confuse me. I get confused. You know, because I think, okay, God, I'm in my Bible every day, and I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to act like you want me to act and talk like you want me to talk. And these trials are coming. Why are they? What are they doing here? Well, when I am able to put on those new set of glasses, I'm able to understand that I need to go to God. He already knows what's going on in them. He's wanting me to pray. And part of praying, we talk about this a lot here at The Journey, is that it's not so much that God doesn't already know it. He just wants us to know it and to line up with his will. James says to ask God for his wisdom, and he promises to give it. He promises to give it liberally and without reproach. And that reproach, when I think about that word reproach in regards to prayer, means that I know that I've been a bad boy sometimes, that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But God isn't going to stand there and, nope, you can't come because you've been bad. No, he's going to do it. He's going to give you wisdom to get through that thing, whether you've been bad or not, as long as you come to him and ask. And that's what he's wanting you to do. So don't feel like you can't come boldly before the throne when he reveals that, you know, you've gotten this thing, you've gotten in trouble on your own here. God didn't have nothing to do with it. He just wants you to come. He wants you and me to come to him and ask. And he says he'll give wisdom 
liberally and without reproach. Um, but we must pray in faith, not doubting. Um, James 1, 6 and 7 says this, but let him ask in faith, the person that is going through a trial and needs wisdom, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Um, faith is trust, right? That's really what the word faith means. It means trust. So when we go to the Lord in faith, the scriptures tell us we must go not doubting. James says that he kind of uses the example of the sea. In the, it's a great example, illustration, because, you know, all of us have seen the sea with its high waves and its low valleys, right? Well, that's how we can be as Christians. That's how we can be as Christ followers. One day we're, we're high on this thing, God is good, God is great, but then all of a sudden we go through a trial, and where are we? We're at the bottom. We don't, we start... Um, just like the waves of the seas, we're up and we're down with our faith and we're doubting in one day and not the next. James' example uh, allows us to think uh, about a couple of things. When we're in the valley, we say things like, does God really love me? Remember when trials come? It makes you say these things or think these things, doesn't it? And that's what it's, it means when we go to pray that we shouldn't doubt. When we're saying things like, does God really love me? If he loved me, I wouldn't be going through this right now. We're, we're at the bottom of the wave. We need to be consistent and at the top of the wave. And we say things like, does he, does he really care? Does God really care for me? No use praying. He's probably not listening anyhow. We say things like that, don't we? When we get into these deep trials and we get depressed and we're down here. Does God really have the power to fix this? I'm in so deep. This trial is so bad. Not even God himself can get me out of this trial. Those are the things are when we go to him, we pray that way. And he's asking us to pray the opposite. He's, he's asking us to pray in faith that, all, yes, he does love me. Yes, he does really care. And yes, he has the power to get me out of this trial. The warning here is that if we go to God in prayer doubting, doubting, if we're in this tossed mode, um, we should expect to receive nothing from him. No wisdom if this is the way we're going to approach the Lord. Pretty serious thought, isn't it? That if this is a kind of way we enter into prayer, is that God is, James is telling us, God, don't expect anything from God when you're, you're thinking that way. And here that is well, what he's trying to encourage in us and instill in us is the power of our Lord Almighty, that he knows what's going on, that he understands what you're going through. He's hoping to give you the wisdom that it takes to navigate through this thing. All you have to do is come and pray, but pray in faith and not doubt. Joy is in um, the endurance. James 1.12 says, Blessed or happy is the man or woman who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
Um, blessedness is a man's reward for endurance. Just being happy. That's what counted all joy means. Yeah, these trials, we know they're coming. We know they're part of our lives. But being happy through the trials, James tells us here is that blessedness comes as we endure, as we have the patience through the trial. No, all is not, not woe is me, not all is lost. But when I put my new set of lenses on, when I put my new glasses on, I, know, I look at it this way. God is doing something, I'm going to endure, and I'm going to be blessed for it, and I can, one day, I will be able to count it all joy. Paul speaks um, of, of a crown, much like um, James told us here, was about the idea that um, we would see a reward uh, Paul speaks of this type of crown when we, uh, as he's encouraging the Corinthians to run the race. And that's the race of endurance. The, they too were being uh, involved in trials and so many persecutions and things. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9.24. He says, do, not, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? So in other words, this is a, a track meet kind of a thing. And there's a whole bunch of people in the race. And, but they're all running. But one receives the prize. He said there's going to be one winner. Uh, run in such a way that you may obtain it. So this is what endurance is all about. Is that I'm going to get to the prize that God has for me. I'm going to get to the joy that he wants me to see. I'm going to make it to this thing. But you just can't kind of run in the pack and just lollygag around. This is what Paul's trying to get us to understand is that we're to run in such a way as to obtain it. This is our goal. We're going to get to the end of this trial and learn what it is God had me do. That's what or wants for me out of this trial. That's what endurance is, to have the patience and the endurance to get it. Intentionally looking for the purpose that God has for us in our trial is when we can count it all joy. That's what it'll be. Uh, I know it, I don't know if you put this in practice before in your life, but I double dog dare you to try it the next trial that comes in your life. Look for what God has for you in this trial and count it all joy. Um, trials from within. We need to touch on those a little bit. So far, we've been kind of talking about the trials in our lives that God's allowed to come in, right? Uh, he's in control of everything. Everybody good with that? There's nothing out of his care, not a, anything of his, out of his control. Even when the uh, devil approached um, Job uh, with all the cursings and things that were on, he had to approach God first. And he had to ask if it was okay, and God allowed it to happen in Job's life. And then, so that way we know that even in the worst of things, God is in control, but he allows them for his glory and for our purposes, Right? So we know that. But James 1.13 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted or put through a trial, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, 
it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We are tempted or tested or tried uh, to sin. That, that's part of living in the broken world. We know that the prince of this world is Satan himself. And uh, he is allowed to bring temptations into our lives. But even he can't do it. Trials involved um, are, uh, are, are, are temptations brought into our lives are really something that the enemy knows that we're weak in, and he brings that into our lives with the idea he wants us to sin against God. Remember, he is the Antichrist. He is the opposite of Christ. Jesus wants us to succeed in the things of God. Satan wants us to fail and to disobey God and to fall into sin. So that's our, he, he targets our old man, our sin nature, the one that is inside of us because of sin. Um, we cannot blame those temptations on God. As we have learned, God will bring trials into our lives and remove to remove sin or to test um, our faith, but that's something that he cannot do. He cannot tempt man. It would be against his nature. It would be against his character. It would, it's not something that God does. So when I read these verses, it always reminds me of fishing. I don't know about you guys. I like to fish. I know there's a couple of you who have been to my house that are in this room, and I love fishing with you. Um, but when we read these scriptures, it always reminds me of the fishermen. So we're going to talk about a fisherman, but I'm going to call him Satan for a moment. He puts enticing bait on the end of his hook with the hope of tep uh, tempting a fish to go for the bait. And in this case, the fish is you and me. He cannot uh, make the fish take the bait. I hope you know that, that even though temptations are out there, that Satan uh, brings them into our lives, he uses things against us. He cannot make you take the bait. You take the bait. But once the fish takes that bait, because Satan has made it attractive and so good to the fish's eyes, and it looks so tempting, and the fish is rubbing his belly. I'm so hungry, I just got to get that bait. The fisherman cannot make the fish take that bait. I don't know how many times I've watched fish come right up to the end of my bait and not take it. And I want them to take that bait because I want to hook them and I want to get them into my boat. But that cannot be done. I cannot make that fish take that bait. However, um, once the fish takes that bait, the fisherman hooks them, reels them into the boat, and the scriptures tell us that once that bait uh, has been taken, sin enters into our lives, and the only thing that that can bring into our lives is death. And it's not necessarily talking about death eternal, but compared to life in this world, sin brings death into our lives. So, the fish saw life in the bait, but it actually took it to its death. And this is what James says, how we sin. We are drawn away by our own desires, and we sin. Not from any temptation from God, can't blame it on him, but from the trial 
within. We don't pass the test. We don't have the endurance and the patience to get through it. The bait looks too good, and we take it. James 1.16 says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Don't take the bait, is what James is saying. I'm sure you've heard this before, that God will never uh, give you more than you can handle. You've heard that before, right? False. Not a, that is not true. That is a lie. What God really says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is this. No temptation or trial has overtaken you except such as common to men. In other words, that's what we've been talking about all morning. They're going to come into your life. You're going to have temptations. You're going to have trials. They're coming. Everybody gets them. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond which you are able. That's where people get this. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So for every temptation that the enemy throws out there, God has provided a way of escape. Not that he won't give you more than you can handle. Actually, it's the opposite. We just talked about that. When trials come, it's more than I can handle, God. What do we do? We go to him in prayer. We go to him. We ask for knowledge, how to get it. It is more than we can handle. But what the scriptures here are trying to help us understand is that we have a way out of those internal ones. We don't have to take the bait. God has provided a way out. Um, these, these days, there's a lot of popular sayings out there. Uh, one of them is, oh, I can't help myself. That's why I fall into sin. Oh, I just can't help myself. Not true. If you read the scriptures, scripture says there's a temptation coming that God's giving you a way out. So you can't, that doesn't work. You can say it, but it's not true. God is giving you a way out. Another one that's popular this, uh, these days is God made me this way. Ever heard that one before? Well, God's made me this way, so guess what? I believe that God made all things and he, he created me and all these things, but at the same time, God made me this way, so that's why I am. Well, maybe he made you uh, because of our sin nature. We made, we're our products of Adam and Eve, right? Uh, we have a sin nature and we are broken. And we're not to stay that way. So that excuse is thrown out the window as well. Remember, when we talk like that, when it comes to temptations that we've caved to, this is a self-deception. We're deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving no one. We're not, God's not fooled by us saying things like that or doing things like that. We're not fooling the people around us in any way. They're not fooled by it. We're only deceiving ourselves. Sin has affected everything and does not come from God. Remember that. That's what I talk about, the sins from within. We've been tempted, we see the bait, and we go for it. Only good gifts from, can come from God. In fact, he is the source of every good and perfect gift. So as we wrap things up today, and I'm going to have Dave come up here, Jesus has taught us that trials will come. James has taught us that. 
He's taught us that they're going to come. Not if, but when. And there's going to be various trials. In other words, there's going to be many, and maybe various types of them are going to come into our lives. But he has caused us, I believe, James has caused us this morning to look through a new set of glasses. He's saying to us that we should look to see what God is doing through this trial. When we have that attitude, when we have that perspective, it's when we can truly be thankful for our trials. That's what it started out today. Counted all joy. Really? Yeah, we can. Because God's working something awesome through the trial. There's one more verse that James says. I want to look at it at the end here. It's James 1.18. He says this. <clears throat> of his own will, he, will brought, he brought us forth by the word of truth. His being God there, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we might be kind of first fruits of his creatures. God's word of truth. We can view it as this, because it certainly is. It's truthful. How many times have you gotten in a trial where you never even looked at this? I can only say that because I have. There's been trials that I've gone through and figured out some way, shape, or form I can get through this, I can push through. <clears throat> That's not really what God wants us to do. He wants us to come to him for wisdom. Where are you going to get the wisdom? How do you get through the trial? Ask for it, and he'll give it. But the word of the truth also can, is referred to in a couple places in our Bible as the gospel. The word of truth. So in our broken state, in our messed up lives, the gospel enters in. The good news enters in. Not because we earned anything. Not because we're so awesome. Actually, because we're not so awesome. It's actually why trials come into our lives. God's wanting to get rid of some of that stuff so we can be awesome. But the gospel is there. The idea that Jesus died in our place for sins and we can be relieved from the penalty of that sin. Oh my goodness. What an awesome thing. And I, I, I don't say that lightly this morning. James is encouraging us here that God brought forth that, that we might be first fruits. In other words, that because of the gospel going forward, that it would be one of the first things or the first fruit that comes out of his word is that we will be saved. So I don't know where you stand with the Lord this morning, but certainly um, each week I always try to give an opportunity if you don't, or you're not sure that you are God's, you can do that. And it's so simple. He doesn't make it some complex form you got to feel out. I know it seems like we're all about QR codes, codes and forms here recently. At the, we don't have a QR code for getting saved here. Simple thing. Just humble yourself before him. Admit that you're a sinner. Pretty easy to do because we sin. 
and tell him that you want to be forgiven of those sins. You want to be forgiven of those sins, tell him that you promise him that you will turn from those sins and walk towards him. And that you want him to be the Lord of your life. Not you be the Lord of your life anymore, but him be the Lord of your life. Beginning to take his wisdom into play, into your trials and into your troubles. Well, like we do every each and every week, I'm going to give you a few minutes to kind of think about what God has said today through trials, his, his perspective, how we should be looking at him. And then I'll come back and close. If you um, do want to receive Jesus as your Savior for the very first time, I'll be here. I can help you. I can walk you through that. You can pray just as simple as what I just um, laid out for you. But um, during our time, I pray God speaks to you about trials and tribulations and temptations. So let's take a few minutes uh, to do so, and then I'll come back and close. thank you for the trials. Thank you for the ability to be able to count it all joy. Lord, for me personally, the best track record that I have with you is looking back. I can look at your track record and how you have handled tribulations and trials in my lives in the past. Wow, what an amazing thing. I truly can count it all joy for those, but even ones that aren't now yet entered into my life. So I pray that for everybody here, that when these things come, not if, but when, we can do so because of your word. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. Thank you for the ability to endure these things. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and ask wisdom when we get in the midst of these troubles and trials. And most of all, Lord, thank you for your son who died on our behalf for the forgiveness of sin. Maybe um, today we just rest in that thought. We thank you, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So obviously, you're never letting these out of your sight. You're going to look at things differently now, aren't you? You're going to look at your trials differently. I pray you are. Keep them in your car. Keep them in your Bible. Not if trials come when. They're going to come. So go out this day looking through your new set of lenses. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> <clears throat>